Welcome to the San Diego Psychological Association's podcast, Diving Into Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Carcel. This podcast has been developed with the intent to inform and educate the general public and providers and should not be relied upon for any other purpose. The content, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not those of the San Diego Psychological Association. Today's show is on sports psychology and the principles to achieve peak performance. I'm happy to introduce Dr. Michael Saleh, clinical psychologist working in group practice, which specializes in treating university students. He received his undergraduate degree from Emory University and his master's and doctorate degree in clinical psychology from Alliant International University. Welcome, Dr. Saleh, and thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm really happy to talk about this um, because this is a, a facet of psychology that not a lot of people really know about. Um, you know, typically when we think of psychology, it follows more of a medical model where we're thinking about healing and, you know, people who are having symptoms like depression and things happen in their lives, uh, anxiety, things that they need help with. And, you know, they come in thinking of a, a mental health provider in that way. Whereas sports psychology takes a different approach. And I think it can be really exciting for people in all facets of life to get this information. And I'm curious for you, given the background in clinical psychology, how did you learn about sports and performance psychology? That's a, that's a great question. And it really wasn't all that long ago. It was really only about 10 years ago. So, so growing up, a little, a little more background about me, um, I, was, I was a competitive athlete all growing up, played baseball and soccer. And, you know, I, I put a tremendous amount of pressure on myself to perform. And, you know, sometimes it was helpful. Sometimes it wasn't. And at the time, you know, about 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of talk about, you know, stress, performance, anxiety, being, being okay in a natural kind of part of sport. So I ended up playing baseball at Emory University. It's a division three college. And, you know, as my baseball skills increased, so did, my, so did my levels of anxiety. Looking back, I, I really wished I had known more about sports psychology and mental health treatment for athletes. Looking back, I can't recall anybody, any of my teammates um, ever talking about mental health or seeing a mental health professional. Um, so it really wasn't until my I started my doctoral program at Alliant in 2012, where I was hearing more and more about, uh, you know, mostly individual sport athletes, tennis players, golfers, talking about this breaking new new field, like you mentioned. And from there, it was just, a, it was a natural combination. It seemed very natural to combine my my love and passion for sports with my, with my high degree of interest and passion for mental health and healing. My advisor was willing to advise my research on the psychological impact of uh, serious injuries on elite athletes. And I just kind of started learning more, going to conferences, reaching out to people in the field, uh, doing things like that. That's wonderful. You know, and, and because sports psychology is a newer division of psychology in general, not a lot of people are familiar. So it's good for us to talk about this. And I'm curious because, you know, the focus, given the name itself, right, sports psychology, the first thing that comes to mind are athletes, you know, people who are really um, taking advantage of sports, whether in a professional manner or in academic or scholastic ways, college and, and what have you. But I'm curious, what about the average person, a person like myself, who is looking to be healthy, 
who may lack some motivation, may, you know, just need some guidance. How does sports psychology help them? I think I, I think it's a great question, and you know I talk about um, often performance is is included. Some some professionals will market themselves as sport and performance psychologists, and the theory is that these psychological skills can be applied to any type of person who is going through a great deal of preparation for a small window, a very short period of of evaluation. So I absolutely think um, you know, sport and performance psychology is not only uh, being used in the sports realm, it's, we're starting to see some principles also being used in, uh, in businesses. And it's, it seems to, people seem to really be resonating with the fact that you know, performance naturally brings up pressure and, and it teaches people ways to recognize that everything we have is still within us. It, it's just the situation that is changing. You know, we kind of create the stakes. Whereas if we, if we strip things down, we realize at the end of the day that in that moment, we, we trust the preparation that we've built up over time. We try to discourage people from trying anything they haven't tried, you know, trying to be a hero, mm-hmm. things like that, to, to stay within ourselves, to, to stay focused on what we, what we know to be true and what we've prepared for. Right. And, you know, when it comes to this, uh, the research is, is really growing in this field. I was uh, reading a little bit of research on this specifically and that the major objectives tend to be, and feel free to correct me here, but, you know, from what I've read is, is to understand the psychological factors that impact a person's physical performance, but also to understand how a person participating in sports, how that inf- influences them. And, you know, the stuff that is, you know, maybe behind the scenes mentally that could be hindering you know, their success. Um, so it, it's, it's really cool how there's a, it's a multifaceted discipline in that way where we're still keeping the mental health piece at the forefront mm-hmm. and we're integrating, you know, a lot of really structured things to help achieve goals. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, and sometimes we can use psychological principles without people even really knowing um, so it's, it's a great way to connect mental mental skills with the things that we all already love to, to, to optimize performance. So you hear a lot of sports psychologists and other um, certified mental performance consultants. This is a new certif- a newer certification to the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. And they talk a lot about mindfulness, a lot about being right where your feet are. Uh, breathing is a huge you know, people often think, um, you know, whether it's for a big game or, or if it's for a big presentation that you have to get pumped up. The idea with sports psychology is that the quieter our minds are, the quieter our bodies are, the, the better we'll perform because that kind of the, the raw, raw style actually can add some more tension. And as we know, there's a fight or flight response that get more tense. Our heart starts beating. We're not, we're not thinking as clearly. And another, another a huge thing I want to add is, is imagery, you know, the belief that by just imagining, or the theory is that by imagining ourselves succeeding in a moment, for example, like uh, gymnasts, you know, mentally rehearsing the exact event, you know, having the mu- hearing the music, imagining the feel of the f- of of the mat, calling the routine, it actually exercises our motor cortex, which as we know, is, is involved when we're actually doing 
movement. So this actually activates that part of our brain to prepare us for what we're preparing for. Yeah. You know, I I love what you just said, too, because as somebody who doesn't specialize in sports psychology, but I'm a huge fan, I'm used to seeing the media portray you know, the, the concept of, of athletic endeavors and, and goals and stuff like that and, and watching shows of like the big game, so to speak. And we see the rah-rah, like you just described, really aggressive, sometimes um, bordering like almost too much to maybe like make this goal happen, you know, winning the game, so to speak, or, or being at our peak performance. But I love the fact that you just described that it's actually not the case, you know, that we do need to activate that part of the brain, that parasympathetic system to really engage, to help us calm ourselves. You know, sometimes I often like watching the Olympics. Uh, I don't know if you're a fan, but, um, you know, I watch the Olympics sometimes and, and Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I find it so, so amazing to see that these are athletes that for a split second, you know, of their life, uh, it could determine being on a podium or not. And I'm always fascinated at watching right before they start. And many of them just take a big inhale and exhale right before they're getting ready to perform. And and I, I think about that activation of the parasympathetic and that mindful moment that we all love to see an athlete do. Yes. And uh, yeah, I, I love that you're you're really talking to that right now and how important and significant mm-hmm. you know mindful is mindfulness is along with other strategies. And, and I'm curious, can you talk more to strategy? You know, that I think that might be helpful for people just trying to understand what it is that they would learn from you or someone like you, you know, coming in, whether it's if you're an athlete or whether it's somebody who wants to achieve, mm-hmm. you know, a better, healthier life. Yeah. Um, now, is it, are you talking in kind of like a, in the competitive realm, kind of just in general? Either. Yeah competitive and also average person myself, you know, like thinking of mindfulness, Mm -hmm. what other skills would you recommend? Got it. Um, So one of the things I'm glad that I'm glad that you brought up the Olympics because the Olympics was one of the, one of the major organizations that that really did adopt sports psychology and started hiring sports psychologists with the Olympics. So there's that famous shot of Michael Phelps, it's like you said, right before a major event, uh, I forget which one exactly. And he's got his headphones in and he is just locked in. He's almost like this intense, you know, intense. So you know, pre-performance routine, it primes our mind and body to perform. And I think that any type of pre-performance routine, uh, you know, it's, it's the intention behind it. So whether you're at the Olympic level or like, you know, Michelle, if you were going out just to lift weights at the gym, whatever type of exercise that, uh, that you prefer to do, you know, the intention, setting really clear goals of why am I doing this? There's a famous quote. I'm going to go with what the actual quote is uh, by Nietzsche, who is uh, he who has a why. And of course, we can, we can substitute she or they who have a why can bear almost any how. So keeping that in mind, that if the value is health, we tend to build our behavior uh, around that value as long as it's really important to us. So we always have to keep keep the why stronger than the what or the how am I going to do this. That's a huge thing that I talk about, both with performers and with my clients, with, uh, with everyday people, just like you and me. Wonderful. I love that. It's so true, isn't it? It resonates so deep. When when you're talking to people too, I, I'm curious, 
how do you apply this or these con- these conceptualizations, these theories, these practices and skills to helping people achieve their performance goals? How is it applied? Uh, that's that's a great question. So there's a myth, uh, especially in American sports, where we see elite athletes being put up on pedestals. You know, they're almost you know these these demigods that we think are just indestructible who let, you know, criticism just roll off their shoulders, let whatever else is going on in their lives just roll off their shoulders. And that's, that's just not the case, you know, to really connect with, with any athlete, you have to show that you care about them as a person first. So my, my clinical training in uh, humanistic psychology um, and that, that humanistic approach has been really, really helpful to, you know, just look for their essential goodness, you know, their need for human connection, their need for support, validation if they have a bad game so we really have to get tap into people's humanity i got another quote by theodore roosevelt and uh the late i actually heard it through uh, a man named dr ken revisa who who passed away um a couple years ago so rest in peace to to ken so i I actually heard the quote through him so it's that people people don't care how much you know until they know that you care and that really that really resonated with me so doing things like, you know, before, before a presentation, I did some work, I've done some work with high school teams, do something as simple as icebreakers. So I would ask for their, uh, their initials and, you know, come up with funny name. And, and so it really got the, it was mm-hmm. a girls, girls basketball team. It got the girls laughing and, and it just, mm-hmm. they seem to be more receptive to what I had to say once, once you can help people let their guard down. I couldn't agree more. You know, I was talking to somebody recently and when it comes to clinical psychology, a lot of times there's these old stigmas, you know, these old things and conceptualizations of how we do things that is not actually accurate. And that's where it's good for us to talk about the human experience in therapy, you know, the human experience in sports psychology, clinical psychology, and all facets of mental health, where it is that connection, that therapeutic alliance, and that we feel that connection. Because without that, we don't get very far anyway, whether it's in life or in our field, in mental health, or in general. So I'm glad that you you said that. And, and I love your quotes. I'm, I'm making mental notes to, to write these down later because they're great. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, they're very true. Thank you. Yeah, I wish I coined them. But uh, yeah. <laughs> well, as you do this, you may actually invent. Maybe one I'll of, come out with some soon. I was going to say, you'll probably invent one of your. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes a lot of sense. I am curious, you know, because like I was saying earlier, you know, we we are trying to get information out um, to the public and and really giving uh, an opportunity to people to learn more about what mental health really is and what can be expected uh, coming into an office with, you know, whether yourself or myself or another mental health provider. And while it is different, each person is coming in with different, you know, symptoms, different ailments, different goals, different aspirations. There's still a process, you know, there's still a very human experience to this that it's important that we address. And, and again, I like talking about that therapeutic alliance, meaning that you're working with your clients in a human level. You're, you're really looking at them individually and that that is in essence what we do. You know, we look at people, you know, individually. We know conceptually there are things that we need to be looking out for 
And we make sure that we custom tailor what we do for our clients. Mm -hmm. And in sports psychology, it's really neat because, you know, we're not necessarily, you know, looking at, you know, symptoms that are hindering their life. We're looking at symptoms that are hindering their goals, their goals for what they want to achieve in a sports arena or a sports world or, you know, health-wise, right? So this is really a, a wonderful part of psychology. And I'm curious, you know, how are you helping educate people about this field since it's a newer field and it's uh, branching out? There's a lot of work to be done and it's it's slowly it, it's slowly gaining a foothold. So, um, you know, I was nominated by my mentor, Dr. Shira Oretsky, uh, to take over her role as um, San Diego Psychological Association's uh, Sports Psychology Committee, uh, along with our co-chair, my co-chair, uh, Dr. Kimberly Wagner. So during this time, we're 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 just starting to you know, build it up. One of the things we're doing is so we put together a webinar training that we opened up to all of San Diego Psych Association, and we, we had a wonderful turnout. From there, we were able to to identify a couple of people, mostly graduate students, who were interested in, in joining the committee. I think that's where you know it's really important to start reaching out to the up and coming professionals. Who, who are still students, who are able to, who are looking for opportunities to spread the word about sports psychology. You know, when I was a graduate student, for example, I was, uh, I was happy to do pro bono work with, um, with my former high school and some of their coaches and teams. So it's really important to, to l- let people know in graduate school that, you know, that this is a possibility. Um, so other things we've done, and then just recently, um, one of our goals is to kind of do live interviews similar to similar to what we're doing now. Just recently with a, with a former college teammate of mine at Emory, uh, we interviewed and it was a, an educational. We asked him about the ethical side of, of sports psychology and confidentiality. Like you mentioned, like when do mental skills get into the clinical realm? So the field is really trying to identify that line of at what point, you know, there's this continuum of needs based on severity of symptoms. So the field is really doing a, working very hard to, to make this as clear as possible and to really set some guidelines for how we can implement mental skills and psych, uh, sports psychology into almost just seamlessly as a part of teams and individual athletes and everyday people's, Mm -hmm. their everyday experiences. Yeah. You know, you brought something up that I I think is really important for us to talk about. There's a certain types of personalities that go into certain types of careers. And, you know, we have um, personality assessments for this very reason. Most people have, you know, done some of these online and, you know, some of them in in more formal settings. And there's, uh, you know, we call it the type A type, uh, the more current type of, you know, personality trait. But, There's also something that I think is important that we address, which is what you were discussing, you know, kind of, you know, teasing out the, you know, folks who have, you know, more of this driven style of being and that they're really excited about what they're doing and and really participating in sports in a very healthy way, um, which is a lot of people. And then there's the part where, you know, we're talking about the Olympics and you brought up Michael Phelps and I, I could not applaud him more for coming out and talking about his depression and the things that he was suffering from all throughout his career on and off. And, you know, that 
it, it really impacted him and that the need for, you know, having a distinction in some way, whether it's coaching or doing, you know, um, you know, uh, working with a sports psychologist, but making sure that we're also keeping an eye out for things like major depression, like anxiety disorders, and one that I specialize in, which is eating disorders, and also I specialize in trauma. So, you know, that that we're keeping an eye out mm-hmm. for, you know, and this is good for parents to know, this is good for, you know, athletes to know. And, and I think it's really important that you and I can talk about this, totally. that if they've got stuff going on, you don't have to push through it. You know, you don't have to fight this alone, that there are providers like you, like me, like many, many others, that we're here not just to help enhance the goals, but we're here to help peel away and work with, you know, what's there that's hurting, harming, causing pain. And it can be done conjunctively in many ways. Do you agree with that? I, I, I totally agree. And I think for athletes and, and everyday people, well, I think athletes are everyday people as well. Um, as, as I was hearing you talk, it, it brought me to authenticity, that fearless drive to for our goals, our behaviors, and our thoughts and feelings to, to align and to take that risk to be ourselves, just like somebody who might be forcing a job to work or whose parents expect them to, to be a doctor, for example. Athletes can go through very similar things. You know, they want to live up to expectations. You know, they were the top recruit in the nation and they feel like they have to go to the top college and they have to go into the pros. It's called identity foreclosure. That our identity becomes wrapped up in in our physical abilities or our work. You know, a lot of people, when you first meet somebody, they ask, what do you do? Rather than, what do you love? You know, and if somebody says, I love psychology well great you know but but i noticed that we often lead with that so i I think it sets this precedent that we we need to focus on the individual and and, and the person who wants to perform their best the more they are in touch with their authentic self i think that's one of the one of the keys to optimal performance i agree i think you know, when it comes to any type of task, but especially one that requires mental and physical, you know, a mind-body connection, a mental and physical approach, it's so important that we know ourselves, right, to to a level where we've peeled away, you know, kind of, I always like to use the term with my clients, you know, peeling the onion. I kind of, <laughs> I reference Shrek. I like that. that. Yeah, you're peeling the onion, you're going deep, you know, <laughs> and sometimes you're going to cry. You know, it's, it's, it's it probably a lot of times, you know, because we have, we all have stuff, yeah. you know, we all have stuff underneath that is, you know, preconceived things that we've learned from childhood, preconceived notions. And, you know, when it comes to performance, a lot of times those things can actually hinder us and cause us to not be our most efficacious, not, not to be at our, our own best, whatever that looks like. So yeah, that's why I think it's really good that we're we're talking about that melding of Absolutely. you know, not just hey, go do this, you're good at this. This is, you know, something you've polished yourself to do in, in achieving these goals in sports um or health or what have you. It's it's also that connection to who the authentic self is and who you are and how you want to be and why why are you even doing yes. this? Like what is the intention? really for, for the person, which can be really cool. Absolutely. And, and, you know, sports is, is a game of failure. 
our, our games and competitions of failure. It is inevitable. No matter how much we want to deny it, there's going to be a loser. <laughs> uh, you know, for example, just a little side note, you know, baseball, the, the sport that I know best is if you're hitting three out, if you're getting on base three out of 10 times in the major leagues, you're going to be in an argument for, to be a hall of famer. So they're failing seven out of 10 times and they're still being, you know, regarded as these stars, you know, these, these legends. So if we identify so much with our physical performance and we're inherently engaging in an activity where failure is inevitable, it's going to be really hard on our, on our mental health. Like you said, like we get these preconceived notions about, you know, failure is bad. There's a sports psychologist, Michael Gervais, who talks about, you know, fail forward. Another, I can't remember who it was, but seeing failure as feedback as opposed to I'm a failure. I failed. Um, However, I am not a failure. Yeah, I love that. I am taking so many mental notes and I can't wait to apply this because, you know, we don't think about it that way. You know, conceptually, we do end up having to have to make mistakes in order to learn from that. And in sports, you know, you're bringing up statistics that are absolutely accurate where you're going to have to fail in order to learn and succeed. And, you know, I think this speaks a lot to just our general population. Mm -hmm. And especially, I I know you work a lot with students and I work with students as well, especially in a university setting. And boy, there is just so much pressure, so much pressure these days to perform, whether it's academically, whether it's athletically, you know, whether it's, you know, in any kind of context. Personally, I don't remember being under that much stress. I don't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just ignored it. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, this is really scary in a way, in a lot of ways, actually, because this isn't real life. You know, real life is about exactly what you just said. It's about you know falling seven out of ten times and knowing how to pick yourself up and be grateful and happy and proud and and still know that you're still at the top of your game, even though you've had more of these failing forward moments. I hope I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, great, great application of it. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm learning from you. That's wonderful. (laughs) I I really appreciate this. And I, this is why I think, you know, sports psychology as a newer branch of, you know, psychology that is becoming more known is so helpful because it not only helps people with, you know, their goals in this way, but it also applies, like you said, in business, in life, you know, parenting, school, every which way. So yeah, this, this Mm -hmm. is, this is really good. So I'm glad to hear how influential, you know, your work is and and what you're helping students do. I I think it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I I really appreciate it. That's, that's my one goal in life is to, uh, to help as many people as possible while, while looking out for myself as well. But if, if at the end of my, my career, I can look back and say, you know, I, I did what I could to to reach people um, in, in, in creative, unique, authentic ways, then, you know, I'll be uh, a valued life, a, a life well lived. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, the mental abilities here when it comes to, you know, being in the game and, you know, uh, in the moment, I think it's important for us to address 
how does somebody who's in the moment, you know, let's say it's baseball, for example, or football, or they're, they're in their competitive zone, but they're not doing well, you know, it's not going their way, they're struggling, you know, it could be something that affects them and also affects their team if they're part of a team. How do you come back from that? Or what do you recommend as a, as a skill set or th- interventions that can help them, you know, come back in and, you know, do their best? Because we're, we're talking a little bit about failure, but we also want to make sure that, you know, people who are in that state, which again, can happen more often than winning, how do they pull out of it? So that's a great question. And coincidentally, those are the two sports that I was going to uh, use as examples. So one of the things that mental skills coaches and uh, sports psychologists will recommend is, is coming up with some type of physical cue, like some type of reset. So there was, he's currently in the NFL. And what he learned to do is on his, uh, on his tape, he, he has a, they tape, a lot of athletes will tape up their wrists. He, he put a big red circle. Anytime that, you know, if he dropped a pass, if he ran the wrong route, he would take a look down and just, and almost press it. And it was a, his physical cue to, okay, this is a reset. What just happened is gone. Baseball, uh, another one, you know, it's the, so there's always a little bit of time in sports, you know, even, even a fast paced sport, soccer, hockey, there's little timeouts that there's little moments. So it's like really appreciating those little moments of time in between uh, the action. So another thing that baseball players will do and softball players are, are encouraged to do is find some type of physical object to ground in. So when a guy or a gal steps out of the plate, they'll, they'll like look at a spot on their bat. You might, if you look closely, actually, when the, you know, when the Padres come back on and hopefully, you know, take us, take us, uh, take us to the promised land, uh, you know, they'll take a deep breath and they'll focus on just one label of the bat. Doing that each time is just, it's just a reset. And, you know, teammates, you know, buy-in is, buy-in to sports psychology and mental skills is huge. So using our teammates for support. If mental skills and encouragement and motivation comes from teammates, I mean, that is 100% preferred. Athletes hear enough from their coaches and, and trainers, and there's a certain uniqueness and there's a certain power to teammates who are also willing to just step in, you know, take ownership. Morale is, is real. You know, we humans naturally pick up on electromagnetic signals that we, that we give off. Um, so morale, really, it, it's a neurological activity involved. So, you know, just something as simple as, you know, a pat on the back, somebody strikes out just, you know, one, an arm around the shoulder, something like that. It really, really goes a long way. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the biggest things that we see and that's founded in research is one of the biggest factors that affects people with depression, um, people that have anxiety, you know, people that um, are experiencing these symptoms, a lot of it's isolation. Not all of it, of course, but there's a big component of what we see with people who are struggling. They feel alone. And having a team, having camaraderie, having a purpose in that way, even if, you know, the team doesn't win, you're still bonding and you're still helping each other and knowing that that's normal, 
right? That's life. We don't win in life, you know, all the time. As a matter of fact, we need to lose, as we just said, to, to, in order to gain and grow. Um, so yeah, team sports can be a wonderful way to, to do that. And I think uh, it's good that we, you know, talk a little bit about that for anyone who might be feeling alone, who might be feeling isolated and they have, you know, opportunities maybe at their school or, you know, some work environments. I know with COVID and the pandemic, it's been really difficult because that's, wow, this year has been just so hard and we've all been isolated and that's been so difficult. So now as we start hopefully coming more back to life and back to normal, that we can resume these very important special we'll say traditions of, of sports, you know, and, and team camaraderie. Um, Cause it really does help. Yes. Yes. And that camaraderie, it, you know, it, it brings you back to, to the values again, like you said, we, we, we can't guarantee we could do everything right and, and still lose a game. So if we put the value on the outcome, we're, we're setting ourselves up for, for disappointment. So the value, you know, if we can look at the value after loss of, you know, really looking ourselves in the mirror and say, you know, did I do everything I possibly could? Mm-hmm. You know, did I do everything I possibly could to help my team win? That's what's important at the, at the end of the day. And, you know, it's, it's the realization and the acceptance that nothing is guaranteed. You know, wins is, a win is not guaranteed. The only thing we can do is put ourselves in the best position possible to succeed. And when the moment comes, we just flow. We go all in and we go in with our hearts and minds. That's, that's what we have. You know, we can't control uh, what happens to our environment. All we have control of it is how we react to our environment. So making that very clear to athletes and the fact that if you fail, again, you're not a failure. Mm-hmm. Actions don't define our identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just going to add that, you know, I don't even personally believe in the word failure. Uh, it's just a word that to me, I know it's an important word. I don't want to dis- disregard it or invalidate it. It's life lessons here. You know, life is not meant to be about necessarily winning or losing as much as it's about achievement and performance and getting to that. And winning, yes, of course, there is there is a goal. We've actually structured it this way. So that's good. But like you said, it's not always about the win. It's about what did I learn here? Um, and that really is the most important thing, you know, in so many ways. And at least in my opinion, of course, but you know, I, I think we we can learn so much from the moments that are not "quote unquote" the wins um, in life. That, that made me think. You know, I'm I'm curious what 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 word do you replace failure with, or what would you recommend? What have you noticed resonates with people? Yeah, uh, as opposed to. Yeah, Yeah, for me personally, um, you know, I I identify the word. I think it's important that we acknowledge the word failure because it is something that we all are familiar with. We all know what that feels like to some degree. You know, we've learned this from many ways. I mean, even the way that we are in grade school, you know, our papers are sometimes it's minus two out of whatever, you know, so right there we're seeing what we missed on the, on the exam or on, on the test or whatever versus positive, whatever, right? So there's there's just a reality where we're constantly shown where we're missing. And I think if you look at this from an evolutionary perspective, you know, it's life is just about learning. We're about learning. Yeah. And our environments procure so much of how we 
take in information. And there are patterns that we all can share to some degree. We're still individuals, absolutely. And we have to be looked at as individuals. And that's definitely important. And that we also are pack animals. And that there are things that, you know, if we can look at something like, oh, I know I messed this up. And what did I learn from it? What can I gain from this quote unquote failure? And how can I do better mm-hmm. and not beat beat ourselves up, right? This this is this becomes a really big challenge for people who have a trauma history. This becomes a really big challenge for people with depression or people who have symptoms of anxiety. It's hard because there's an internalization, right? And I'm sure you've seen this, especially with students. Um, you know, this it, it's it's a developmental piece as well, but it, it transcends. It goes you know all the way up to to late adulthood. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for me personally, um, I acknowledge the word. And personally, I just don't buy it. Um, it's to me, failure means stopping, achieving, giving up. And even then, I get it. You know, even then, we can acknowledge that there's a reason behind that too, or reasons. So that's just my own take on it. But I'm definitely not a sports psychologist, so don't quote me. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to. Yeah, I really like that. Um, but I'll, res- I'll, I'll respect it. Um, no, yeah. I, I think that's great. I mean, we, um, you know, in, in acceptance and commitment therapy, developers of the of the theory talk about our relationship with the words that we use. Our words really do hold an impact, and if we're not mindful of it, uh, our, you know, our minds, are, our brains are still hearing these words, whether it's being told by somebody else or it's coming from our own mind. You know, the brain is constantly processing stimuli, stimuli, whether it's internal or external. So I think you you make a great point there that sometimes people just don't have the wording because it's just so ingrained like i mean failure is all around right we hear it we've been hearing it failing in tests like you said on the papers so it's just become such the opposite of, of success when when really it is an opportunity to learn uh, at the end of the day and you know and, and we have to choose if we want to learn from it as well like you said uh, you can't fail if you don't quit you know, and again, it's all subjective, right? So, you know, everybody's unique. And I think, you know, as mental health clinicians and practitioners, you know, we, our job is to get to know our clients as much as possible and to meet them, as you said earlier, where they're at and to make sure that we are taking into account the the level whether it's symptomology or history or whatever it is that's impacting and incorporating that into their goals, their treatment plan, whatever you know it, it is that is specific to what they're coming in for. Um, you know, and I think sports psychology, what I love about what we're talking about today is it's just such a beautiful melding of the clinical and the medical model, which in many ways has been criticized by folks who are in positive psychology and, you know, which sports psychology also does. We're looking at strengths. We're looking at people's strengths. And, you know, everything from wording, everything from, you know, the thoughts, the behaviors, the actions, you know, if we're thinking about cognitive behavioral work, there's there's just so much good stuff when we incorporate that positive aspect of what, you know, sports psychology and positive psychology can bring into this medical model and clinical model. So, yeah, I just think it's it's, it's a really neat thing. And, and I'm so glad that you're talking to this and that you've you know, been willing to share so much with us today. Um, I do have a closing question for you. I'm curious, you know, given, given that, yeah, sports psychology 
given that sports psychology is, you know, newer um, in some ways, a lot of people aren't necessarily as familiar as clinical or just, you know, mental health providers in general. Um, how does one go about finding a sports mm-hmm. and performance professional to work with like yourself? A couple of different places. So a great place to start would be uh, San Diego S- Sports Psychology Associates website. So um, it is comprised of a group of sports psychologists and certified mental performance consultants. Um, I think I briefly brought up who are certified by the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. That's that's one great place to look. Um, it's a group of local, I think I mentioned lo- they're local sports psychologists and um, mental health practitioners. Uh, you can also set a filter on SDPA's directory or Psychology Today's and their Find a Therapist tab. Uh, and you can search exclusively for people with specialties in sport and performance. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for that. I'm curious, you know, for anyone who's listening, how would they go about finding you directly? Probably email is the is the best place to reach me. I'm starting to I'm starting to build up a, a bit of a social media presence, but I think it's still a little uh, minimal at this point. So I'm happy to you know share that once there's I can uh, get a little more content out there. But the best place to to email me is Michael period Sale. It's spelled S A L E H. Um, followed by the number seven at gmail.com. Well, thank you so much, um, Dr. Sally. We really appreciate you being here. I think this topic is so incredibly important and so helpful. I enjoyed talking with you. I think we covered quite a bit here. Is there anything that you'd like to end with or share with uh, with our listeners? I really appreciate you you bringing this field to light. You know, it, it takes people like you, you know, people in other other disciplines of psychology, other other fields to to start to talk about it. You know, I can't do it alone. My mentor is Shira Oretsky, my coach Kim, Kimberly Wagner. You know, we, we, we can't do this alone. So it really uh, takes buy-in and, and looking at the value of it. If you're a parent, you might have a child who is struggling and going to a traditional therapist or counselor might hold some stigma for certain people. So I just really want to thank you for helping me spread the word about psychology and letting athletes know that there is an option out there. There are a lot of former athletes became sports psychologists and certified mental performance counselors. So I think um, you know, we have that unique insight and never presume to know exactly what people are going through. We can relate. We can relate on some level. So I very much appreciate you having me on today. Thank you. We appreciate your time. And I um, will definitely take uh, some of this material and, and incorporate it because I thought it was just so insightful. So thanks again for, for being here with us. Sounds great. Thank you so much. The information and advice offered is not intended to treat or diagnose and is not meant to replace any other professional consultation. If you'd like to know more about the San Diego Psychological Association, go to our website at sdpsych.org. That's S-D-P-S-Y-C-H dot org. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself and be well.